0: Boy, that's a great song, isn't it? That's an awesome song to think about who you were, what God did, and now who you are in Christ. And uh, honestly, that's what we want to talk about today. That's what we want to focus on, and um, in reality, that's what we focus on every single week. You see, we exist as a church for one reason, and that is to point to Jesus Christ in His Word, because many of us have have recognized in our own lives and and realized, I guess I need to say, that He is the answer. He is the only God. And our purpose, our, our reason for existence is simply to know God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. And so today we want to focus on Him. We worship Him. We know that He gave us His Word. We know that He gives us His Spirit. We want to focus on him and, and allow our our hearts and our spirits to be to be conformed to his image. well, at my house we, we had a problem for years. The problem was this this one bathroom faucet kept dripping, and it, this went on it was one of those things where you know, eventually, we just put a bucket underneath of it and just let the bucket catch the drip. Have you ever done that? You ever been there? Well, let me tell you something about good old Pastor Lowell. I'm cheap. I'm as cheap as you can be. And I didn't want to hire somebody to come fix that thing, so I'll fix it. I'll put a bucket underneath that drip. And that's how it went for a long time. We'd empty the bucket, and, you know, it's just the way it was. Well, I got tired of it because the, the, the emptying of the bucket increased. You know, I had to do it more and more often. I'm like, i got to fix this thing. So I thought, I'm going to fix it. After all, my, my dad was a, was a welder, a mechanic, a plumber, and, and certainly I inherited some of those traits for him. I'm going to fix this thing. So one day I, I went downstairs and I got the toolbox that my father had given me, filled with the tools that he provided me with, and I went up into the bathroom and I decided I'm going to fix that. So for those in the room who know anything about plumbing, you're probably going to start shaking your head, okay? But I didn't know what to do, so I just started taking things apart, okay? I knew to turn the water off, okay? I turned the water off, but I just started taking things apart. You know, I'm like taking the nozzle off the shower, and I'm I'm taking the nozzle off the bath faucet, and you know, the drain, and I still couldn't figure out what the leak was. I don't really know what I was going to do once I found it, but I'm looking for the leak. And, and finally, I, you know that thing you turn to make the water come on? I don't know what it's called. Um, but anyway, I took that thing apart, okay? I'm like, yeah, I'll just rip all this apart. And now I've got these three holes in my bathtub, okay? And I'm trying to figure out how to fix it. And, and the problem was, see, the hole was too small for the tools. So I'm, like, trying to, like, you know, get in there and take these... You know, these nuts off. I'm gonna fix this thing somehow. And I'm working and working and working. And well, to make a long story short, I finally did what I should have done in the first place. I called my dad and said, Hey, how do I fix this thing? And I tell him what's going on. He's like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Try this. So I try that and call him back and try this. And you know, no, it's not that. And back and forth we went. Finally said, you need to just break down and call a plumber. So that's what I did. I got in the Yellow Pages, I called somebody, could have called one of you, I know, but I didn't want you to invite my house and see what I'd done. So I didn't call you, I called a stranger. And that the stranger comes to my house, right? And he's, you know, crawling around all this stuff and he's working on, and now he's up into the bathroom. He's got a flashlight shining in this hole that I've been poking around with all kinds of tools. He says, who's your plumber? Oh, well, you. Well, I didn't do this. I said, yeah, I know. He works a little more. He's, What's the name of your plumber? I'm like, it's it's you. Somebody else has been working in here. I didn't say anything, you know. So he's still working away. Finally, puts his tool in and he says, "I need to know who's been in here working." And I said, "Well, actually, it was me." Now. I talked to him all day, at least for the hour that he would charge me for that he was there. Okay? We've been talking about life and all this kind of stuff. And by then, I'd let him know I was a pastor, you know, and had four kids. And, you know, then not march said such such a date and all that kind of stuff. So finally, when I told him the truth, that it was me that was in there digging around and wrenching around and poking around, I remember he said this. He says, he stops, he looks up at me, you know, kind of wipes a little sweat off his brow. He says, pastor. How about next time? You worry about writing your sermon, and let me do the plumbing. Said, <laughs> so, "All right, I, I get the message. I get the message. Sometimes you got to call a professional. Am I right? Sometimes you just got to do it. For Brock, it's a mechanic, and hey, it is for me too. You know, for so and so is a plumber. Hey, it is for me too. For some of us, it's a carpenter. Yeah, me too. Okay, let's just call a professional." That's what we need to do. And here's my point today that I want to make to you guys. And and if it helps you to fill in blanks, you can. I want you to know something today. Our sin, the sin that's in our life, it's really that bad. It's really that bad. The sin that is in our life is really that bad. I also want you to know that God is really that good. He's really that good. He's as good as I'm going to share with you today and better. Our sin is that bad. Our God is that good. And the grace that you just sang about is that amazing. That's my whole point today. I want us to understand. Our sin problem was so great. The problem of sin in our lives. Not only the sin that you commit, but the sinner that you are. Not only the words that express sin and the actions that you do that show your sin, but the very sin nature that you were born with. It is so bad for all of us that we needed the only one who could address it. And that was God. Sometimes it just gets to the place where you need to call a professional. we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 53 today, if you have your Bible, you ought to turn there. We're going to see that things are so bad that the only one who could offer a solution is God Himself. Sin is so bad, God is so good, grace is so amazing, that the only hope that there was for the universe was for God Himself to come and take care of our sin problem. I want to talk about that today. I want to focus on that from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, you need to know a couple things about this. Turn in the middle of your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 was written literally 750 years, not ago, 750 years before Jesus was even on the earth. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth. You can think of it as year zero if that helps you, okay? That's when Jesus was on the earth. He was on the earth for 30 years and died, and then was buried, and then was resurrected and ascended when He then is at the right hand of the Father today. But 750 years before that, God was reaching out to His people. God was calling to His people and inviting people to Himself. And even before that, God was in the practice of inviting sinners like us. People have had the same problem as you and me since the beginning of time. And God had been calling people to Himself since the beginning of time. But what we have before us in Isaiah chapter 53 is the words of the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of God 750 years before Jesus would ever come to earth, calling people to the Lord. And demonstrating the only hope that we had was for God to come and deal with our sin problem. I want to read Isaiah chapter 53. I want to jump in here at verse number 3. If you have your Bible, follow along. If you don't have your Bible, listen carefully to these words written about Jesus seven centuries before He ever came to earth. Seven centuries. And hear God speak through the prophet about what Jesus did to conquer sin, and what you and I need to respond to today. This message, 2,750 years old, still affects us today. Hear it. Verse 3. He, and he is identified in chapter 52, verse 13, the servant of God. He was despised. And rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Let me just mention here when he says we, he's speaking specifically of the Jewish people who Isaiah brought this message to. But I would challenge you that, that that pronoun has a wider meaning. It's all of us before we came to Christ. It's you today, if you're not in Jesus, if you are not forgiven of your sins because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that we is you. We esteemed him not. Verse 4: Surely he has borne out, or that is borne our griefs, griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But, verse 5, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Now all we like sheep have gone astray. We, By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now, I'll stop there for just a minute. If you haven't noticed, even in my own reading of it, and in your own reading of it, and as you look at the language, you can feel the descent into sorrow. This is a lament, is what this is. This is a heart cry of regret. This is a heart cry of sorrow over what has been done to the servant of God when it was written over what would be done to the servant of God, but where we stand today is looking back on what was done to the servant of God. I'm thankful it doesn't end at verse 9. It doesn't end there. The lament doesn't end there. Oh, it's low at this point to think what mankind did to the servant of God does drive us low. But as somebody said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You see, at the end of verse 9, Jesus is in the tomb, dead. Not swooned, not passed out, not comatose. He's dead. Identified as dead by professional executioners, identified as dead by the ruling government authority of the day, assured he is dead through the piercing of a spear into his side, revealing the telltale sign of death by crucifixion, a large amount of water and blood coming out of the body, out of the lung that is now filled with fluid and pours out, indicating he is dead. So, the professional executioners who at this point are demanded by the execution team break their legs. Break the crucified one's legs. We want this to hurry up. So, snap their legs so they can no longer push against the nail to fill their lungs with air. So, break their legs. And when they came to Jesus, they saw there was no need to break his legs. Because he had already given up his spirit. He had already said, it is finished. And he gave up his last breath and died. Taken down from the cross. Placed in a borrowed tomb. Owned by a rich man. Jesus laid there for three days. Experiencing the judgment of our sin. Verse 10. Here it is. You see, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He is the servant of the Lord. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It is now Easter morning. Resurrection morning. Jesus has come out of the tomb alive. He is risen. You say, risen indeed. That's right. Now what I want us to do today is I want us to walk through these verses and I want us to see what the servant of God, according to verse number 13, experienced for us. Now granted, many of us, we already know much of this, but we want to point to Jesus and what he experienced for the sin of the world as as described here in Isaiah 53. And I want to walk through these things. Slowly at first, slowly, to see what, how God demonstrated his love to us. And then we'll walk through quickly to see what God has done in us. Let's go to verse 3. It says here that he, and again, he is the servant of God, which is a technical term in Isaiah. Okay? It's listed in Isaiah 40. It's listed in Isaiah 43. It's listed in Isaiah 50. It's listed in Isaiah 53. It is identified as the one Messiah, the chosen one sent by God to accomplish a task, the task for God. This servant of God. This is not a servant of God. This is the servant of God. Definite article, only one. There's only one way to God, the man, Christ Jesus. And now we're going to see what he did to to redeem us. Thanks for singing that song. To redeem us, this is what he did. First of all, he was rejected. Notice it says in verse 3, he was despised and he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. What the Lord is telling us through the prophet Isaiah is this, that Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. Jesus came as a Jewish man, sent to first reach out to the Jewish people and say, Hey, I'm the one. I'm the one Isaiah told you about. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. He came to his own. And what this tells us is, if you would have met him, there was nothing really spectacular about him. You would not have been like, oh, wow, that's a real guy that I want to follow. It wasn't that way at all. He was just a common man. He looked like a common man. And the men who were forced to make a decision about him, when they looked at this common man who looked just like everybody else and heard the words from his mouth when he said, I and the Father am one. When he said, I am the light of the world when He said, I am the Good Shepherd, when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, those who heard and saw who He was rejected Him and despised Him. And they crucified Him because of their rejection of His message. That's why they crucified Him. They crucified Him because He claimed to be God. Never let anyone tell you Jesus didn't make that claim. That's the very reason they killed him. He was rejected. Rejected. I want to say this. There is a sense, and this is true of every one of these points today. There is a very strong sense that every time you and I sin, we are rejecting God. We need to recognize that. We need to see ourselves in this passage. I remind you of of King David, the king of Israel, the man after God's heart, who ruled over the nation of Israel as a powerful king. And one day decided he saw the woman and he wanted her as his own. And so he sought out, who is this woman that I see on this building, see on this roof? And he told him who she was and he called to her and brought her to himself. She was another man's wife but he had her that night as his own. Arranged for the murder of her husband and later married that woman. They conceived the child and David thought they had a happy family. Until one day, prophet of God, a person speaking on behalf of God, came to David and confronted David about this sin. I want you to hear what he said. This prophet speaking to David about the sin, about his own personal sin that nobody else knew about but David and Bathsheba and maybe maybe a guard, but that's it. But listen to what God has to say to the individual sinner. He said, David, the sword now will never depart from your house. Because, God said, you have despised me. Every time we sin, we are despising not your wife. Not just your husband. Not just your children. Not just your parents. Not your boss. Not the policeman. Every time we sin, we are despising our Creator. And that's why they nailed him to a cross. Go back to Isaiah 53. It says in verse number 4, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now these words are not, not speaking of you being sad because, you know, you lost your favorite toy or because you lost your favorite job or because you lost your spouse. That's not what these griefs are. These griefs are speaking of the grief of sin. When we sin. We bring upon ourselves sorrow and grief. And you know it well, and so do I, first-hand experience. So Jesus here, he's not bearing the griefs of your sadness over a sad book or a sad movie. He's bearing the grief of sin. He's called a man of sorrows in verse 3 because he is bringing on himself the very consequences and brokenness of sin. Listen to this truth. There is always consequence for sin and that consequence always includes grief and Jesus took it. Jesus took the grief of our sin. He carried, verse 4, our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. The word here for what Isaiah is describing is the Messiah, the servant of God, is cursed. Cursed. Let me tell you about what those who crucified Jesus thought. It says here that he was, they esteemed him stricken, they esteemed him smitten by God, they esteemed him afflicted. You know what this means? When those who crucified Jesus... When the Jewish authorities who called for it, when the Roman authorities who oversaw it, when the soldiers who did it, when the mob cheered it on, they believed they were doing the very work of God. They believed as they crucified Christ that He was cursed of God. They considered Him smitten. You know what the word smitten means? Smitten means to be beat down. It means to be hit until you fall on the ground. Punch somebody in the face, they fall to the ground, they're smitten. That's what this word means. Those who watched this, those who saw this, many people who even look at it today believe that Christ and His followers are such idiots and such fanatics That they deserve it. See, this this is the heartbeat of a natural man, of a natural woman. Before you were in Christ, before you had Jesus in your life, before His Spirit transformed you, do you remember? Do you remember? Were you too young to remember? The Bible is clear that outside of God, without God, we hate the Lord. We never come to God on our own. So before Jesus, we before he worked in our lives, we esteem him smitten. We ourselves curse him. Curse him. I've heard people curse Christ. I've heard people curse Christians. And part of me feels like, you know, the man, part of me wants to punch him in the mouth, right? But then the spirit man remembers. Remembers. They're just doing what they naturally do. They're just doing what I naturally did back to the passage. Verse 6, 5 that is. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Now what happens here and what's going to continue to happen, I want you to notice as we read it, is the pronouns are very important. I want you to initially see whose transgressions it is. whose, Whose iniquities the author is writing about. Whose chastisement Isaiah is referring to? They are ours. They are the Jewish people who are rejected the Messiah. They are ours before we're in Christ. What's happening here is the Messiah is being crushed. Being crushed for transgressions. Being crushed for these iniquities. And this chastisement is coming into his life. In verse number 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Not only was the Messiah rejected, cursed, crushed, but in verse 6, and also important, he substituted. He substituted. Now, this is essential to the gospel. It's called the vicarious substitutionary atonement. Of Christ. What that means is this. I deserved death. I'd earned it. I'd earned death. But Jesus in his grace. And in his mercy. Died in my place. There was an exchange that happened here. I deserve death. I get life. Jesus is life. And took death. You see the substitution all through this. And what's amazing about it, I want you to see this because it's so important understanding the Gospel. It's so important. Look back at verse number 4 and see what, what the author is talking about. He mentions griefs. He mentions sorrows. These are the thoughts of sinful man. These are the thoughts of sinful man. Jesus was substituted for my very thoughts. For my thoughts that drove me to grief and and drove me to sorrow, my thoughts Jesus died for. In verse number 5, it now speaks of my transgressions and my iniquities. See, an iniquity and a transgression, that's not a thought. You know what that is? That's an action. That's something I do. So not only did Jesus die in place of my thoughts, He died in place of my actions. The things that I did with my hands and with my eyes and with my feet and with the rest of my body, Jesus died for my actions. But folks, that's not enough. If Jesus only died for my thoughts... And if he only died for my actions, then everything I did after I put my trust in Jesus would damn me to hell. But that's not the only thing he died for. Verse number six. All we like sheep have gone astray. Jesus died for my thoughts. He died for my actions. He died for my very nature. Verse number 6 is now speaking of my very nature. I don't care how good you think. I don't care how good you act. Your nature outside of Christ is like a sheep. And I saw that firsthand today. sheep run out of control, man, ripping through the woods, damaging themselves and everything in their way. And we couldn't catch that thing. There were four grown men running through the woods trying to catch that thing. It took a man and eight boys to catch a sheep. Four grown men couldn't do it. It's amazing. It's amazing the model, the, the created being that a sheep is. To show us what our nature is. Sheep is an amazing creature. It cannot defend itself. It cannot provide for itself. It cannot fix itself. It can't find its own water. I'm told that if a sheep falls down on a dewy morning... And its wool fills up with the dew of the morning and and weighs itself down. It cannot turn itself over. It will lay there on its back and die. All we are like sheep. And Jesus died to fix our very nature. That's why we can say that Jesus died for the good, for the bad. Because there is no good. We all have a nature that opposes him. He substituted for us. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The substitutionary atonement. Of Jesus Christ. Let's continue on. Look at what Jesus did. Verse 7. I love this. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus, God, the word of God the one person who spoke and all of creation existed, the one who spoke into my dead heart and called me to life is silenced. He is silenced now. When else has God ever been silenced? When has God ever been silenced before man? Why is Jesus silenced here? Why is He saying nothing? Why does He not speak? Why is He like a sheep silent before its shears as they nailed Him to the cross. Why is He silent? The old song said it well. Quoting from Scripture, He could have called 10,000 angels, but He didn't. He stayed there and died for me silently hanging on the cross. Why? 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 Let me blow your mind with why. He hung there silently dying in our place because in His justice It was just. It was right. It was right that Jesus died for you and for me because God loved us so much. He loved you so much. And He he was living for His own glory so much that the only hope, the only hope for man was for God to die. Jesus made no defense for Himself because He went there willingly. He went there for us. He went there on our behalf. And so Romans 3 says that He was just in being the justifier. What that means is He knew His death was righteous. Because it was the only way that we could be made righteous. There was no other choice. At this point, sorry, I know this is taking this illustration to its extreme, but at this point, you had to call a professional. No lamb would do. No sacrifice would do. No, the blood of bulls would no longer work. It never did. It always looked forward to this moment on the cross. Silenced, verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation who considered him that he was cut off from the land of the living, he has been murdered. Killed. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. This is about one year before he goes to the cross. He says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, they buried. Listen to Matthew's account of the burial. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62 to 66. Matthew records what happened. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, the Roman governor, the one who allowed them to crucify Jesus. And they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, and we quote, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. You hear their fear? You hear their fear? What if he doesn't? What if he comes back to life? We want to show. We want to prove to everybody he's an imposter. We want to prove he's rejected. We want to prove he's cursed. We want to prove he's been crushed. We want to prove these things. So seal the tomb. We'll come back three days later and we'll open it up and there his rotting body will be. They didn't get there in time. Because on Easter morning, a group of women went to the tomb. And when they got there, they met a very unexpected person. First, it was an angel. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? The angel said. And over the next few weeks and months, actually 40 days, Jesus appeared to over 500 witnesses showing what Isaiah told us would happen 700 years prior in verse number 10 and beyond. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. But then, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. He shall, the will of the Lord, that is, shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted the righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Folks, he came back from the dead, alive, resurrected. Our sin has been destroyed. Our sin has been conquered. And you and I today can be forgiven. We can be forgiven by God. This is man's greatest need. This is your greatest feat. To be forgiven by God and to be brought back into fellowship the glory that you were designed to have, the relationship that you were designed to have. Yes, this is true. Today, Jesus is alive and He may be drawing your spirit right now. He may be calling you to yourself. He may be calling you and saying, Come to me. Come. Come. You who are heavy laden with your guilt. You who are seeking rest. You who who are trying on your own, by your own righteous acts, to allow yourself to be accepted by me. No! Salvation is found under no other name except for the name of Jesus Christ. Will you call to this one, the servant of God, Today, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your great, great love. Ephesians 2 says that your love was great. And that you made us alive, it says. Those of us who were dead in our sins, it says, you made us alive. When you lavished on us, your great love. Now listen in your heart today, if you need to receive Christ, you've heard the gospel today. You cry out to Him in your heart that He might save you. Receive what He has done and be given the right to be called a child of God. For the believers in the room, I urge you, Worship Him today in spirit and truth. Cry out to Him from your heart. He loves you. He's proven it. He's given you Him. He's given you Him. Now let us worship Him today. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In his name.